In the early days of 2020, I had the opportunity to sit down with the English department at Marshall Middle School, Dr. Heidi Savala, ELA resource teacher at the central office, as well as some middle school students to talk about reading and how we build cultures of readers within our classrooms. How can we create the conditions for kids to engage as deeply as possible with reading? How can we make book reading as compelling as computers, screens, and Instagram feeds to make reading as positive and empowering as possible? This is Learning Together San Diego, and I'm Rebecca Bellingham. Today's episode is focused on how we are creating a new generation of readers. I started my conversation by asking the group of 6th, 7th, and 8th grade teachers what they are noticing about kids' reading lives these days. I want to think a little bit about how can we create a new generation of readers, of kids who love books, of kids who feel really connected to English to poetry to books to literature and what you're noticing about kids reading lives and how we can um, help amplify them. Most of us have taught for a long time. I've seen a change in the, how kids read and a big gap in those who carry a book in and carry a book around and those who are trying to sneak reading <laughs> a book. Or, or who constantly come up and say, can I get another book re- recommendation? I just finished another book this week. Um, as, as opposed to, I didn't read anything this summer. Um, I'm seeing nodding heads. Do you feel like there's been a shift in the kind of reading lives our kids have? What are you noticing about that? Because they have options. You know, this and this. You mean computer There's and phone, the technology. Yeah, I school a long time ago, and this wasn't available. So mm. there was TV, and there was the phone in the kitchen where <laughs> the whole family heard you had the right. conversation with the boy that called you, and then there was the book. And so you read your book, and you also wrote your journal, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of went hand in hand, and it was real life, and, you know, you go to the library, and you knew how to use the Dewey Decimal System, and you smell the pages, and, you know, all of that. And I just think that this is just so... Um, dominantly, you know, the reading of choice or texting. The screens. Yeah, the screens. That, and, it's, and it's just, you know, go to the next, the next, mm-hmm. the next, the next, and not even have to get involved in it. I don't have to go and, and learn to get to know this person or read this whole book. Mm-hmm. I can just get clips of what I want, and then I'm moving on. So it's, this, it's a different pace of how we acquire or consume information. So that would be one major factor in how kids' reading lives are shifting. Those who like reading tend to stay in a genre. Mm-hmm. Those who don't like reading insist that nothing has ever been good. Like, there is not. I've never had. Yes. No one has ever. I've never read a book that I enjoyed. How are you only 13 years old? And no book has ever made you sad when it was over because you, your relationship with all of them was over, you know, or this experience was over. And then if you can hit on a book that was read aloud to them sometime, um, then, then they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that one was good. I try to remind them when they liked it. What you're saying about reading aloud is the connection that creates the social experience. So if, if they are hearkening back to a time when they enjoyed a book because it was read aloud, the component of that is the social experience mm-hmm. of the read aloud. It's everybody together having the same experience simultaneously enjoying 
or being surprised mm -hmm. by the experience. So what they're telling you is that reading for them is social, but as you build community in the classroom itself in other mm -hmm. ways, then the community sort of stems outward into their reading experience too. Again, for people who are listening, who care about teaching this, all kids, but especially middle school kids, what else can we say, what can we underline that can help us all think about how we create the conditions for a culture of readers and reading as best we can. I was really concerned um, when I came from elementary school to middle school. In fact, I was very reluctant and yes, I had a wise person tell me they're still children. They just have, you know, bigger feet. <laughs> they're a little taller than you. And I just took that to heart. And I was really concerned that they wouldn't want to sit at the carpet because, you know, that's how I was taught to, to teach reading, to bring them close. And, wow, I was surprised that they still want to be up there. And they, they fight to get in their spot, and it's reading time or a shared reading. So that was uh, something that has stayed with me uh, since I've, I've been here 13 years. I have to give them time where they're reading <clears throat> on their own something of their own choice that I'm not going to test them on. Absolutely. And um, that, I think, has made the, sh the shift. It's not about your assessment. Like the, that the yeah. point of reading is not to get your answers right. You're really nodding about that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like that resonates with you. It, it does resonate with me because so many times it's the task. It's the task. We read the book to perform a task. And sometimes we lose the fact that we read the book to enjoy the language. Right. We read the book to transcend, to move to a mm. different place. We read that book to open that <coughs> shell that is around our heart right now. Like there are times when I say, put your books down, I'm just gonna read to you. Mm -hmm. And we all have the book sitting right there in front of us. Just put it down, I wanna read to you. I don't have an, a, a, a task, I don't care, I don't want you to annotate, I don't want you, I want you to enjoy. I want you to love the language, I want you to love the character. I want you to be so mad that that character just did that to another person. We forget that kids in middle school still need to, to listen around a text together so they can feel connected right. and see your love of literature get modeled. And Yeah, they're not going to connect through a quiz. Can you tell them some of the stuff that our kids said, or do you want me to tell You'd them? You'd say, yeah. So it was really eye-opening when Rebecca started asking them some questions because one of them said, there's nothing that matters more to me than when when my teacher comes down, sits on the floor with me, and we start talking about this book. What are we going to do to get kids to read? And here you are, it's after school, you've come of your own volition, you're excited about the idea of a book club. I don't think you just came for the cookies. Why are you here and how do you think we can get more kids to read and be interested in book reading and books? I would say like the reason that I like to read, it really calms me down when I read. Like. I can be reading about people who I have no idea about and some of their ideals and some things that are struggling for them are things that I'm struggling with. And it's like, it's fun because you get to kind of enter worlds that you wouldn't get to enter in any other way. Yeah, I think a lot of people just like see a book and look at the cover and judge the book by the cover and say, I'm not going to like this book. But then the problem is that they don't ever find books that they like which kind of like repels their interest in reading. But if you have the right book, mm -hmm. reading is a lot of fun. And what about reading in school? How do you think we can make reading better for kids? 
yeah. I, I, when people give me time to read in class, I value it because, and there are some kids, and I feel like this is in all English classrooms, that when your teacher says get a book and you don't read and you're not the kind of person who carries a book in your backpack, you go and get one off the shelf and you read 20 pages, you never touch the book again. And I feel like if there was some sense of consistency, like if the teacher really valued and came up to you and like, so how's your book? And really wanted to like inspire you to read and see that you're making progress and help you find books that you like. Sometimes teachers assign books that you need to read and lots of them like, whenever, like, in elementary school when they would assign books, I would, like, skim through it, but I'd never really like it because it wasn't, like, it wasn't a topic I liked to, like, read, so I wouldn't get into it, but then I knew I had to read that because it was an assignment, so I didn't end up reading books I'd like, and I just feel like teachers should, like, almost, like, what you see, choose. like, what, like, genres people like, and they should try to like base it more off the students and not like off of what they like. If there's a physical thing, like a card game, board game, anything like mm -hmm. that, and it's a book, you can it gets you into it. Yeah, something like, that you're connected to, right? Yeah. Something that you feel connected like, to. Like I found um there's a card game I like called Magic the Gathering and I saw that there are a bunch of books about the universe of magic. Mm. So it got so and I was really excited about that. In reading especially, like, you need to talk about it with someone else. Because when people are, like, talking, I kind of get sparked. And I, I'm able to kind of appreciate the book more. That kind of also helps us comprehend the book. Totally. Yeah, I also think a Socratic seminar is helpful because, like, you get to, like, get the perspective of other people. And you get to, like, see from a different perspective. So that way you can learn more things. So I'm just curious, if you could just create your wish list for how teaching reading or how teaching literature could go, what would be your, like, two do's and two don'ts? Mm -hmm. I like how there's a selection, so there's not one book, but there's, like, 14 books that you can pick from. And if you don't want to read one, you don't really have to read it because you're with a team of people, so someone else probably read it. What sounds like one big do is let kids make some choices. Make some choices. Mm -hmm. Is there another big do? Focus on... The students and like put them in small groups like because I feel like when you're talking about it with the rest of your class you kind of get lost and I think really just sitting down on the floor and just mm -hmm. t talking about it with the students and getting mm -hmm. like the juice of the book find out what like kind of genre they're into like if they like historic mm -hmm. fiction fantasy mm -hmm. science fiction mm -hmm. so, uh, science all that find out what they're interested in what they do and also find out whether they like to just read alone and have um, fun reading. Mm. If they like to have audiobooks or work mm -hmm. in a group or all of the above. I think one of the big takeaways from this conversation is that we really need to get to know who our kids are, what their reading lives are like, and how we can get them connected to reading, either through reading aloud to them, getting them into book clubs to talk about books, or helping them choose books that engage, empower, and move them, books that reflect their interests, their lives, and their identities. And we need to do whatever we can to give them time to read. Reading can also have a powerful effect on kids' well-being, a chance to get quiet and connect with themselves, with their peers, with the world around them, with characters who reflect their experience, and characters who offer them a window into experiences totally unlike their own. As Rudine Sims Bishop famously said, books can be windows, mirrors, and sliding doors. And as Jean Christensen said, you don't get connected by a quiz.
After my conversation with Marshall teachers, I sat down with Dr. Haiti Zavala, ELA resource teacher at the central office. I think one of the biggest things, specifically talking about middle school students, is really being culturally responsive in the books that we're using. So I think one of the things that teachers and principals um, and parents can be really intentional about is the type of text that students have access to, mm-hmm. whether that's in the classroom library or in the curriculum, um, mm-hmm. the text that the students see every day in the ELA curriculum. And how do we make those shifts? And define what you mean by culturally responsive, too. Sure. So culturally responsive, I think, is it's a way of thinking about your own culture as a teacher or administrator, kind of how you make sense of the world. Mm. And kind of comparing that to maybe the culture of your students and maybe how they make sense of the world. Chances are your culture differs a lot from a lot of (laughs) your students. So that's what kind of culturally responsive means. Um, So it's kind of just a way of thinking, too. Mm -hmm. In your interactions with the students, um, how you welcome students, how students welcome you, the type of Mm -hmm. curriculum that's being used. And with the text, I mean kind of culturally relevant texts. So Mm. texts that have diverse characters Mm -hmm. so that offer also unique perspectives or multiple perspectives maybe around the same issues as well. At Knox Middle School we were using um, and I know other schools that use the engaging your curriculum To Kill a Mockingbird is in one of the units Mm -hmm. which is about taking a stand. Mm -hmm. So we kind of asked ourselves you know what other novels are kind of contemporary that also talk about taking a stand Mm. and we looked at other novels like for example Just Mercy there's Mm -hmm. a young adult version that's, that's excellent. Um, the Hate You Give is another one that talks about taking a stand. There were some concerns about some of the material that was in The Hate You Give, but we kind of really looked at also some of the material that's in To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, there's there's really heavy stuff also in yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. So we kind of thought about, okay, how are African Americans being portrayed in both novels? You know, in To Kill a Mockingbird, they're only really being, you know, accused of crimes Mm-hmm. But also in The Hate You Give, they're also they're victims of crimes. Mm-hmm. They're also being accused of crimes, but they're also the protagonists. Mm-hmm. They also find their own mm-hmm. voice. And in The Hate You Give, they're the proponents of change. So they're, yes. pro- they're, they're the initiators of a movement. Yes, they're empowering they're themselves. They're empowered and empowering. Mm-hmm. It's really important for kids to see, all kids, to see that narrative playing itself out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important for students to see that mm-hmm. people of color can have both experiences mm-hmm. when talking about racism or, you know, structuralized, institutionalized racism. You know, what was the what was the tipping point for really deciding to use Hate You Give? I think it was a risk. It was a risk, too. For the, yeah, it was the risk of kind that. of letting, letting go some of the control at the school site, but I think it, it was a big payoff, and, you know, kudos to them for, be, for being willing to try, you know, but I think it was... When the students responded with more engagement and more conversations, that's when you see, like, this this risk is worth it. I also think, you know, some of the conversation that I've had with, with teachers is how do they address these issues? Sometimes it's really hard to talk about racism. Um, sometimes they don't know how to talk about sexism or LGBTQ issues mm-hmm. with their students. And I think I really encourage all teachers, administrators, parents to just be authentic with with their own Mm -hmm. process with the students like it's okay to admit I don't know how to respond to this you know it's okay to say these are hard conversations you know I don't have all the answers Mm -hmm. but let's think about it together Mm -hmm. I think it's important to model that to students and to create a space for students to have these conversations because these conversations are going to have them in the real world they're already having them. they're already having them on social media with their families with their friends so let's create a space where we can model how to have these conversations mm-hmm. in a respectful way. Yeah. How to deal with these emotions without just getting angry and shutting down. Right. You know, how can we positively respond to these things? Because they need us to show up for them, mm-hmm. even if we can't 
because we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. We have to teach them how to dwell a little bit in the ambiguity and in the complicatedness of it all. Yeah. And then the discomfort of it all. I think it's also important to mention that I, like the teachers and I also really worked to making sure this curriculum is standards aligned. So we didn't just pull everything, you know, we still looked at the unit, we still looked at the, what was being assessed at the end of the unit, we still did the backwards design, we looked at what standards were covered, and we made sure every single thing that the students are doing is still aligned to the same standards as if they were using To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. It's just the texts were, were replaced, a little more culturally relevant text. So, but there's something that's also really interesting that came up in a conversation about kids really feeling drawn to the screens, right? And so how can we keep book reading relevant? And how can we keep book reading at the center of our curriculum and, and make it compelling for kids when we have this tug towards um, computers, screens, tablets, Instagram feeds? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think try to make all those things that you mentioned, so the technology, the social media, mm -hmm. all that, the apps, try to make them your friend. So have discussion boards on social media, you know, um, if you can use Twitter in the classroom, have students tweet questions to the mm -hmm. authors of these books. A lot of these authors are big Twitter users, and mm -hmm. they will tweet back. Like, yeah. I know Jewel Parker Rhodes, who wrote Ghost Boys, um, and uh, lots of other really wonderful contemporary novels that deal with, you know, big issues in our in our country and in our culture. She She's a tweeter, you know, so mm -hmm. she will, t you know, res be responsive, potentially, and... Um, and these authors are online, and so that would be a really powerful way to get kids to engage with the authors and get them feel like they're part of a bigger conversation. Yeah. And there's lots of online book clubs, too. Yes. That, that you can even join with your students. There's lots of book clubs for, you know, authors of color or even just LBGTQ, you know, um, issues. There's lots of book clubs that address those kind of issues. So have students maybe find some sort of book mm -hmm. club online that they can talk about as well. Yeah, using those apps, those social media feeds as your friend, as a, as a way to harness their enthusiasm mm -hmm. for reading mm -hmm. and for talking about big issues with actual authors in the world who are writing about these things. Yeah. Um, that's a great, great suggestion. How do you think we can create the conditions for engagement when we don't feel like we have enough time? Ideally, you would have a chunk of time for ELA. Ideally, you would have more than 45 minutes, right? Mm. You can have the block scheduled where the students then have time to read independently. A book of their choice. A book of their choice. And you can check in with students during mm -hmm. this time and, and have conferences with them, individual conferences, and ask them about the books that they're reading. Mm -hmm. And students will be able to have conversations with each other about books that they're reading. Do you have any practical tips for making room for more engaging kinds of strategies to amplify kids' reading lives or love of reading or um, connection to reading mm -hmm. and books? Sure. So I think one of the things, you know, you and I talked a lot about um, was read alouds, you know, starting the day with the read aloud. And it can be a book that's not being used necessarily in the curriculum. It could be tied to it. It could be not. It could be just a very highly engaging book. But just reading to middle school students when they come in, just kind of creating that, that calm and mm -hmm. safe, nurturing vibe mm -hmm. in the class in the beginning. And middle school students really actually love it. Mm -hmm. I've seen it firsthand, mm -hmm. you know, in a room full of 36 middle school yeah. students. They come in rowdy, you start reading to them, and they, they calm down. They, they actually really enjoy it. Especially if it's a culturally relevant text or mm -hmm. a text that really engages them, they really want to listen to, and it, it doesn't have to be for a long time. It can be five minutes. Yeah. And what a great way to settle the room. Those texts are our friends. Those yes. books that light them on fire do the work for us. Exactly. You know, we saw that with, with Ghost Boys last mm -hmm. year. You yep. know, it was not hard work to get those kids to want to listen to that story because it's so immediately compelling, yeah. and they want to talk about it, and they want to think about it. Yeah. So those texts can be our 
can be our partners. That's yeah. something that I heard Jewel Parker Road say. That mm-hmm. you, remember, the techs are your partners. They're you know they're there to really help you create the conditions for kids to want to engage. Mm-hmm. That's these, really yeah. key. And these techs are just as rigorous and and powerful as you know techs have been around for 50, 60 years. And these techs have always been around. There's just so much more of them now. How do you think we can create more time for kids to read their own books of their own choosing? I think, you know, sometimes even if you have a warm-up, to kind of think about how purposeful is your warm-up? What's the intention of your warm-up? I know a lot of schools where I go, they have at least a five-minute warm-up. Some schools spend 10, 15 minutes on a warm-up. Could that time be used, you know, as as a silent reading time? Could the kids be reading their their own... book at that time continue you know and then sharing a couple of pieces with with a partner about what they're reading and some of that's contingent upon having enough books in yes. our classrooms and in our schools that kids want to read and that's a huge challenge that we need to really you know work together to solve we mm-hmm. need to flood these classrooms with books that kids want to get their hands on yes. um, and I think if we don't have that it's really difficult to have this conversation mm-hmm. we need to really invest in getting books into classrooms that kids want to read. And that takes a commitment. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of resources online. If you're not sure where to find these books, you can Google culturally responsive books for middle schoolers. And there's so many. There's an explosion right now. There is. Of how many books are coming out that Mm -hmm. are culturally relevant, specifically for young adults. You know, contact me. (laughs) Like, I will give you a list as well if you need need help finding those resources, finding those books. Just really being intentional of how you're using your time in the class. You know, keep your direct instruction no more than 5, 10 minutes. 10 minutes max, I would say. I know sometimes they say 15, but if you have 45 minutes, I would say no more than 10 minutes max. And let kids read, you mm-hmm. know, just let kids, whether it's the text you're using for the curriculum, whether mm-hmm. it's their own book, kids need to be reading they need something to be reading. that they are able to access and something that is very engaging for them, mm-hmm. something that they actually love. Because what we spend our time on is what we value, what we center in terms of what we choose to do is a huge message. So if mm-hmm. we believe that we want to raise a kid... If we believe we want to raise a new generation of readers, we have to create time for them to actually read. Yeah, and and keep it simple. I mean, it really, what in my own practice, what I found best was was really incorporating the culturally relevant texts. I didn't have to do very much out, out of that. You know, I can teach a skill five minutes, and then we're going to practice a skill with the text. But really, it was a lot of great conversations that the students came up with about the text. That the students wanted to talk about it. I would give a prompt around the text, and the students, you know, I didn't have to get them to write. Like I would refine their skills, but they wanted to write. They wanted to speak about it. And that's why I came in and modeled. Okay, this is how we speak. Here are some you know, here's some examples of how you can say it, but the kids really wanted to be engaged. If you do have any questions about books or resources for classroom libraries, reach out to Haiti. She would love to connect with you about books that you might want to have in your room. Email communications at sandy.net with the subject book lists, and I will get your email over to her. Because here's the thing, too many kids live in what people often refer to as book deserts. As authors and nationally recognized educators, Donna Lynn Miller and Colby Sharp write in their book, Game Changer, Book Access for All Kids, quote, Too many children live in book deserts without consistent access to quality books. Even children with some access often live in de facto book deserts, where all reading is controlled and managed by adults, offering them few opportunities to connect with reading. Unfortunately, book access at school and home remains inconsistent, disproportionately affecting marginalized children in rural and urban communities. And without access to books, the persistent gap between children who have access and those who don't 
will remain. Our students will not reach their full potential without books, regardless of the educational reforms schools implement. End quote. I'll leave you with one final quote from Donna Lynn Miller. Students will read if we give them the books, the time, and the enthusiastic encouragement to do so. If we make them wait for the one unit a year in which they are allowed to choose their own books and become readers, they may never read at all. To keep our students reading, we have to let them. This is how I show my students that I love them, by putting books in their hands, by noticing what they are about, and finding books that tell them, I know, I know, I know how it is, I know who you are, and even though we may never speak of it, read this book and know that I understand you. Thank you to the Marshall Middle School English Department and students, and Dr. Hades Zavala. Thank you as well to Chris Apple for sound editing and design.